Dirren Garrahi, and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter. From their first memories of laughter, to feeling laughed at, to the moment where if they didn't laugh, they'd cry. It was live on television, and I couldn't see sideways, and Donica had messaged Des Cal to uh, say, Tommy will sing a song for you. So, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know anything about this. Uh, and he just knew that he'd seen the state of me. So anyway, we were all there and we had the trophy and Draco and Paul O'Connell were up showing off and Ed Declan Kidney and it, the crack was great. And then Des just goes, and is Tommy Bo here? Tommy, will you sing us a song? And you know, your eyes just go, what? And you go from being very like drunk to very sober very quickly. Irish international rugby player turned TV presenter Tommy Bowe is my guest this week. He talks to me about getting up to no good in his mom's physiotherapy practice, how he'll never take hair inspiration from Peter Andre again, and how lockdown led him to slow down for some quality family time. This season of the Laughs of Your Life podcast is brought to you by Aussie Hair. This week, hairdressers across Ireland flung their doors open once again. Hallelujah. I lived in for fresh colour and a cut. And let me tell you, my hairdresser was very pleasantly surprised at how well my hair had held up throughout this lockdown. She could not get over the thickness and the shine. She does follow me on Instagram, so she knew it was down to how I'd been looking after it with Aussie, in particular the SOS range. The SOS 3-Minute Miracle Treatment has been my lifesaver. If you follow me on Instagram, you will know this. So grab your Aussie bits and pieces when you're in the shops this week. Another hallelujah! The shops are open! And now... For my chat with Tommy Bow. I hope you enjoy. Tommy Bow. Darren, how are you? Great to chat to you. You are very welcome to the Last Few Life podcast. <laughs> Do you know, I've been listening to loads of these. I've listened to quite a few a while back, Dunners in particular. Uh, Donico Callahan was great, and I've been listening to uh, a couple over the last couple of weeks. It's great, yeah. I'm delighted to be on. Thanks for thanks for having me. I met you at an air sport gig. Mm. I, when would that have been? Maybe a year and a half, two years ago, pre-COVID, obviously. It was before the Rugby World Cup. Yes. So yeah, was... Uh, it was before Irish rugby fall up, fell apart. But yeah, the two of us were there, meant to entertain everybody. So thankfully, you were there, well... entertained everybody. <laughs> well, I was at, well, I was shocked because I, I met you. And we were chatting away, and you were like, "I was actually only listening to the last of your life today." I was like, oh "My God, this is so cool!" Uh, I have actual proper listeners because that was very early on. So I, I always had you in the back of my mind. Now I've, I've uh... sure you did. I'm gonna sure. I... I, well, well at the back, obviously. Well, hang on, <laughs> I haven't actually properly insulted you yet. I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna tell you a little something. I'm just I said I'm going to be honest with you about it, right? Okay, good. Honesty's good. Yeah, I, I, put, I put up an Instagram story last week and I was like, oh, the Last of Your Life podcast is coming back. I was like, I have a couple of, you know, great people booked. I have a musical legend, a sporting legend and a woman of the moment, right? So at the time, you were my sporting legend. But I, I'm so sorry, Tommy, but since then, Rachel Blackmore has, has said she will do the <laughs> podcast. So you've actually been bumped down a tiny bit. I'm sorry. So are you going to do another post and another time saying, and we have another sports person? Uh, can't quite claim to be a legend. Like, yeah, Rachel Blackmore. Wow. What a couple of weeks she has had. Oh, my God. Unreal. Yeah. And I'm and actually an envious that you're even going to get to talk to her. I know. So am I. I just like. He's like, she's like A-lister at this stage. Full on, but like ridiculously humble about it. It's mad. Madness. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, look forward to that. That's another one that I will have to listen to. There you go. No, you're still a sporting if legend. If I ever make, if I ever make it. 
I could probably fall out with you by the end of this pod. So uh, you haven't got off to a great start, to be fair. I'm but sorry. I have been a bit scatty in getting set up for this. So we're one all. I think honesty is the best way. I was working with Donica the other day and I actually was picking his brains as well. I was like, I have Tommy lined up for the podcast. Like, who else do you think would be great crack in sport? He was like, honestly, you couldn't have someone better than Tommy. So there you go. Have I solved Lies. it now? Have I fixed it? Lies. <laughs> I, I actually know the actual answer he gave you on that. And we won't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. We get down to business. Let's go for it. Okay, Tommy Bo, your first memory of laughter. My first memory. Listen, this is an impossible question. Like to think, um, to try. I was dreaming up what what was it? My first memory of laughter. But I, I went right back to listen. I'm from Monaghan. I'm from a little village called Emmyvale. But actually, our house is in the complete middle of nowhere. So the closest house to us is a couple of hundred meters away. So it was always me and my sister. Um, I was the oldest, Hannah is the second, and then we have a younger brother, David, as well. It was always me and Hannah. We were always getting up to mischief at a young age. And I just remember the summer holidays, the crack we used to have. I was a bit of a messer, but it we were very much in the middle of nowhere. But when we got a bit older, my mum had a physio practice. So we had kind of old buildings, and she'd converted one of the old buildings into her physio practice. And we during the summer holidays we had to be there and people were coming to get their physio we had people like john tracy who won an olympic medal um uh, for the marathon we had monaghan footballers it was incredible like it was really exciting for me growing up but we were always made to look after them so if they're sitting waiting in their car we had to go out and give them a cup of tea or you know check everything was okay and i remember we used to bring five cups of tea and they used to be like gone off milk in the house we'd be like what are we going to do so we'd pour cups of tea with gone off milk no I remember one time yeah yeah we went we put like vanilla ice cream one time we didn't have <laughs> any milk so we like put vanilla ice cream in and hoped that it wouldn't uh they wouldn't cop on so they're sitting in the, in the car drinking a cup of tea with vanilla ice cream in it but then the best one i was kind of thinking was i'd heard this trick that with cling film so they used to if they wanted to go to the toilet they'd have to come into the house and use the downstairs toilet so i went to put cling film underneath the toilet seat no <laughs> and uh so some p- poor woman went in to use the toilet <laughs> no <laughs> and yeah well let's just say there's a bit of splashback <laughs> what age were you tommy uh, I don't know. I must have been, I know, 9, 10, 11. I don't know. But Were you murdered? Or did she say nothing? My mom killed me. My mom absolutely. So actually what <laughs> happened was, right, the first, we did it a few times because the first person never told mom. So we didn't, we never heard. We actually never heard. We just saw that there was, the cling film wasn't there anymore. And so they... <laughs> Um, but another, the second time or third time, whatever, um, somebody went and told mum and, oh, geez, I was hung. Yeah. So, uh, but the crack, we used to have some laugh. And, you know, it was just the two of us really growing up. My brother then come along too. And you're in the middle of nowhere. That's what happens in the country. You kind of make your own fun. So what was it like for you being the oldest? And was sport something that came into your life from a very young age? I suppose if your mom was a physio, was, that, was she, was it kind of sporting stuff that she did? Like, was sport important to yeah. your family? Ah, sport was everything, yeah. Like, listen, I wasn't a great student. I was a terrible student. And we grew up pretty much being, my dad was very keen to be a jack of all trades, masters at none. So yeah, we, I played Gaelic football, I played soccer, I played rugby, I played tennis, horse riding, golf, anything I could do, anything to get me away from having to study or do my homework. 
So sport was big time. Yeah, and Hannah, Hannah, my sister again, she's an international hockey player as well and played, you know, to a decent level Gaelic football too. So, yeah, it's all I remember growing up, actually, is just kind of going between Gaelic football training, off to rugby practice, off to soccer practice. It was just nonstop. It was good. And were you, was it that you had no interest in school or was it that you actually just weren't good at it? I No, I had no interest. I just, um, I just don't, my concentration's not the best and I'm a bit scatty as we just talked about a few minutes ago and yeah if it was something that didn't really interest me unfortunately like doing Irish or doing maths or doing like so I went to a primary school and it was in the middle of nowhere and there was I think 10 in our class and so you had the kind of first class and second class were all in the same room taught by the same teacher so there's 20 people two classes and so you'd have the teacher there trying to teach one side of us, you know, you know, Irish and the next English. And actually, I don't think we really learned anything apart from Irish, religion, maths and geography. <laughs> that was the curriculum back then. And if there was anything else, it just send us out to the backfield and we go play a bit of football and beat the shit out of each other. So, um, so, yeah, it was quite a small country school and, you know, it was good fun, but I was a terrible, terrible student. It's so, it's interesting you're talking about that now, because I think with the whole homeschooling thing, there are so many mm. kids who I hear, you know, from chatting to people that, you know, their kids are thriving at the moment being at home because for one really? reason or another, because for one reason or another, they're, maybe they're just not good at school. They don't like it. As you say, concentration isn't great. So they're flinging themselves into whatever it is. Their nature walks every day and they're learning that way. Or I was talking to uh, another podcast guest and she was saying when she's homeschooling her kids, you know, as she's baking, they're doing that. They're weighing out the stuff and they're, right. you know, they're learning all that the kind of science behind baking. So and, is that teaching? Is that, yeah. is that learning? Because that's yeah. not algebra. I know, no. I know. If I could turn baking into algebra <laughs> or throwing sticks into the river or, you know, kicking a football about into my times tables, absolutely, yeah. I would be top of the class. I know. But I would be one of those kids homeschooling at the minute that's learned how to freeze frame my Zoom picture. So the teacher <laughs> yeah, yeah. is there talking to everybody and I look like I haven't moved for two hours. <laughs> I would not suit homeschooling yeah. at all. And that's actually why I feel really sorry for some students at the minute, because um, there are definitely some students who are thriving at the minute. But if that was me doing homeschooling, it wouldn't have worked. No, no. Yeah, definitely. It's not for everyone. So, yeah, okay. It definitely is not. Okay, Tommy, the first time you felt okay. laughed at. Ooh, the first time I felt. So I mentioned I'm from Monaghan, but. Um, I actually live right on the border. So I went to school in Armagh. So it was a big step to go and, and go to secondary school in Armagh. And uh, yeah, it was very much the outsider um, in this school. There was only me and another guy from Monaghan up there. And I remember my first year and it was a like a mixed school, boys and girls. And there was, you know, your first year in school, there's always the girls that you fancy and you're trying to impress each other. But Peter Andre was big. Do you even like you're younger than me? Like, do you remember Peter Andre and his just... curtains hair? And I'm all? sorry, Tommy. Now, come on. I'm I'm a little bit younger than you, not massively. Okay. Peter was an icon. Were you into Peter Andre? Like, did that... did you have like have him on your wall and stuff? It was my. It, I think that was my first CD. I'm not even joking. Oh, was it? Yes. Okay, yes. mysterious girl. Yes, it's called. To be fair, <laughs> um, so Peter Andre, all the girls fancied Peter, and he has curtains. So like, I was like first year in school, and I'm gonna get my own curtains. So I grew the hair long, but 
it's really hard to get them like to come in and come round and stuff. <laughs> and we used to, I used to go and get hair gel and it's like, this is like back, you know, I don't know if it was a euro or a punt or whatever. It says this neon pink like tub of jelly gel. And we used to like stick your hand in and you'd slab it and stick it on your hair and it would be rock solid. It wouldn't move for a week. And but I used to never like I used to just gel the front of it. So like had the curtains at the very front that would be like in place. Perfect. But I never knew you had to gel the back of your hair. So I remember like that summer we were all sitting and we were, there was like loads of the girls that I fancied and a couple of the older lads were there and we were playing Chinese whispers and I was at the start and I got all the way around to the end and one of the girls like who I had the real hots for someone had whispered to her like Tommy doesn't know how to gel the back of his hair which is so crap but everybody busts their arse <laughs> And you know the way you just go beetroot red and like listen I'm well used to making an arse myself but that hit home <laughs> and I oh I was devastated but but like it was a good thing and listen I think everybody needs a bit of that like looking back at it now it's you know you get laughed at and you get used to it and you're kind of the butt of the joke but you kind of you get a bit of resilience from it so I think looking back on it it was devastating but <laughs> Probably not a bad thing. I love that you say loads of the girls you fancied were there. I'm like, how many of them did you fancy? Tommy, calm down. Oh, I listen, beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> I was like a twig back there with what? Peter Andre, crap hair. I don't uh, believe it. When did you? Oh, listen. Well, so were you one of these people who grew into yourself later in secondary school, and you, and then the sporting stuff came, or how did that work? Um, well, yeah, like I was this country bumpkin that had come like from this little school. Like I remember my friend always laughs at me that uh, on the first day of school, there's like 150 people in the class and they said they ask some random question. You're in the big sports hall or whatever. And they kind of say, who knows what color the sky is? And everybody's meant to put their hand up. And I stood up in front of him. My name's Tommy Bow, and I know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This is what we obviously did in my in primary school. school. <laughs> uh, so, um, oh, no. so yeah. So he still slags me off with that. So yeah, this uh, country lad coming up to this school, and uh, I definitely wasn't cool. That's for sure. So you said earlier on that you played lots of sports, but at what point did you start honing the rugby thing? Well, so it's funny. Whenever I was under sixteens, under seventeens, I was very much playing Gaelic football in the summertime, rugby in the winter. And it got to the stage where I was kind of playing for Monaghan under 16s, under 17s, and they wanted me to train in the wintertime, which was kind of the rugby season. So that's when I had to make a decision that, no, rugby is my first love. I'm going to have to give it a full go. But do you know what? I, like, I never thought that rugby was going to be a career for me. I, I didn't play in our with for Ireland schools I didn't get into the Irish Academy I barely made it into the Ulster schools team so my actual plan was to leave school to go off to Scotland to university and like take up drinking as like one of the modules (laughs) (laughs) because I I wasn't one of the best players in the team um and I kind of like my dream I like I remember from such a young age going to the old Lansdowne Road and idolizing rugby players and Irish players but I just thought that that ship had sailed unfortunately so we could go into that whole that how that happened uh, do do well so I was so I was doing I was in school in Armagh my A-levels did not go to plan so I didn't get into the the course in Scotland that I was hoping to but 
so I was devastated. I didn't know what to do. My mom was raging with me. And I went off on a lad's holiday after, like, or just before the results came back. And I was in Tenerife with 14 of my friends and I had bleached blonde hair. And I, I, I dyed a blue stripe right down the middle of it. Oh God! But every time you jumped into the swimming pool, like it wasn't permanent. <laughs> so it started to go like green and grey. So my mum collected me off the bus and I hadn't slept in like two weeks. And I had this grey, greeny, bluey hair. It was horrific. And uh, all of a sudden then the following, like a couple of days later, my results came out. Oh, Jesus. That didn't go down too well. Uh, and... Luckily, my school coach at the time, he heard about this, heard that my results didn't go well. He got in touch with somebody who was in charge of the Ulster Academy and said, listen, I think this guy has got potential. It's worth keeping an eye on him. So the guy from the Ulster Academy said, OK, we have a trial actually coming up this weekend. I'll put him on the bench if he comes on goes well. So I came on on this trial and it was the best game of rugby I have ever played in my life. It was like, you know, I look back on it and everything just seemed to go right. Apart from the fact I had this greeny, bluey, white <laughs> hair, which maybe maybe stand out a little bit. And through that, I got as a wild card into the Ulster Academy and then studied in Belfast. And pretty much two years later, had my first cap for Ireland. So, oh my God. you know, when you think things, you know, when one door closes, another door opens. And I'm very, very big believer in that. Yeah, it doesn't matter how fuming your mom is with you. If you can turn it around in some way, like it's, it's always worth it. Unbelievable. Like, and you know what? No matter what achievements I've had in rugby and anything else, uh, actually, I went on to get an engineering degree. And still, that is her proudest moment (laughs) the day me standing there with my scroll, the fake scroll and the big hard hat on top of it. Tommy. Okay, Tommy Bo. The moment (laughs) when if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Oh, um, if I didn't laugh, I'd cry. It has to be rugby again. Uh, I don't know if you remember back in 2009. So Ireland won the Grand Slam and uh, it was the first time in 61 years we had won the Six Nations Grand Slam over in Wales, Millennium Stadium. It was like huge and, and really big day for us and big day for Ireland, whatever else. So that night I thought I would celebrate. <laughs> and um Myself and a guy called Jordan Murphy and Mervyn Murphy, everybody else was kind of, we had a load of drinks, but everybody else was going to bed. But we decided around three o'clock, right, tell her this. And we ordered like five bottles of champagne and we were, we were on it. And so we, so we finished the bottles of champagne and all of a sudden everybody started filtering down for breakfast the next morning and could see the state that we were in. And we were, we had to fly back to Ireland, fly back to Dublin that morning. And then we were to go to the mansion house and I can't remember the flight back. I can't remember really getting to the mansion house. Like Mary McAleese was there. Um, you know, like all these, you know, very important people. And we had to then, walk out of the mansion house onto Dawson Street where they had a big stage set up and there was like 9,000 people there. It was live on television and I couldn't see sideways. And Donica had messaged Des Cal to say, Tommy will sing a song for you. No! Unbeknownst to me, I didn't know anything about this. Uh, And he just knew that he'd seen the stage. So anyway, we were all there and we had the trophy and Draco and Paul O'Connell were up showing off and Declan Kidney and the crack was great. And then Des just goes, and is Tommy Bow here? Tommy, will you sing us a song? 
and you know, your eyes just open, what? And you go from being very like <laughs> drunk to very sober <laughs> very quickly. So anyway, um, yeah, so I had to get up and they, they asked me to sing the song, which is kind of another running joke, this uh, Black, Velvet Van, Black Velvet Band song. Yeah. So I gave the lash and um, you know, it, was, it wasn't great. And I think people in the crowd were watching going, what is going on here? And uh, I remember anyway, all the lads behind me, I couldn't see them. It's only watching it back on YouTube now. I can see them all. They're kind of like going, don't sing, don't sing. Just leave them hanging. So yeah, so I sang, what about her eyes? Her eyes, this uh, shone like diamonds. Um, so I, I, I kind of thought, right, okay, not, no big deal. But I got back and I looked at my phone. We got on the bus and I had like, my phone was blowing up and oh. my brother texted me and he just said, I just wish the ground would have opened up and swallowed you <laughs> and um you know from that i was like oh devastated but then one of the lads handed me another beer and uh, i laughed about it and you know what looking back on it it's probably the best thing i ever did totally so, yeah do you know a cringeworthy moment but it was a good crack you'd know dunica is not a drinker because if he was he wouldn't have done oh, yeah. that to you he doesn't understand he doesn't get it he doesn't realise the great place I was in at the time and the fear I had the next morning after it. <laughs> uh, no regrets. No regrets. No regrets. No, it was good. It was good fun. Okay, Tommy, your no laughing matter moment in life. Mm, um, no laughing matter. Do you know what? Like, I've actually listened to a few of the podcasts and, you know, some people have gone through some pretty horrific times. So... I kind of feel a bit silly saying about this, but in sport, you know, you grow up wanting to play for Ireland. It is the dream. It's the pinnacle and playing in matches like beating the All Blacks, which had never been done before. And to miss out on that through injury is just the toughest. And so injury for me while playing sport was just, it's so difficult. And um, you just, you, you think of the sacrifice to, to get to that top level, the the pain you have to go through, the sacrifices. So some guys miss their kids' birthdays, miss, some guys have missed their children being born. You know, the sacrifices you make and to, to all to play the sport, all to, to get to these big matches for Ireland and um, to get injured is so, so, so difficult. And I'll never forget, actually, my last ever game for Ireland was against Wales in the Millennium Stadium. And it was the 79th minute and 14 seconds. So literally one minute left to play and they brought me on. And I remember getting a pass from Simon Zebo, I think it was, passing inside to me. And Jamie Roberts, the Welsh centre, tackled me and he landed on my leg and I could feel it crack. Oh. And... Uh, so I dropped the ball and Wayne Barnes, the referee, said, right, blows, blows his whistle, scrum down Wales. And he said, um, I said, uh, sorry, Wayne, I think I've actually broken my leg. And he looked at me and said, Tommy, you've only just been on the, uh, on the pitch. I said, I know, I know, I heard a crack. So I got on to the, they had to like ice up or kind of strap, strap up my leg, put me on this little trolley. And I remember looking up at the big screen and it actually said 80 minutes and 14 seconds. So I'd been on the pitch for literally one minute and I'd broken my leg. And that was another injury that I knew I was right back to square one again. And, you know, you go to play international rugby, you're as fit as you can be. And when you get injured, you're right back down square one. So that 
me is no laughing matter. Thankfully, I don't have to worry about it anymore. It's great. <laughs> you can injure yourself till the cows come exactly. home. Exactly. Great. No, but it is, I never thought of it that way, that you are at your peak fitness, your peak physical readiness for sport. And when you are injured, you're back down, you're, it's right back down to the bottom and it's rehab and it's physio and it's just torture. It must be mentally really tough and I don't think you should I don't think you should downplay it you know you're saying about other guests or whatever it's all relative and like that's such a massive not only your career but just your passion as well and it's and it's crushed and it's tough going. Well, I've been following you and your whole knee gait. I mean, to tell you what, you know all about it. Yeah, tough But going. no, listen, it is, it's, it's tough because it's your job and, and, you know, it's what you grow up dreaming of and to miss out on big matches and big events because you're injured and you're very much on the sidelines watching all your teammates and your friends doing it and it's tough to watch on, but, you know, it is, it's all relative and, I've been very fortunate. Listen, I've been a part of some great days, but injury is always something. And it's it's difficult on my wife, for instance, because she's the one who has to deal with the fallout of it. She has to deal with me icing it and feeling sorry for myself and complaining and wondering if I'll ever get back to that level again. So, so yeah, it's tough. I think it, it seems to me that people like yourself... Um, lately in the I don't know in the past couple of years and maybe it's always been this way but I just have never thought about it before but say the likes of you or Brian O'Driscoll or Dunica or whoever you know doing commentary and you on Ireland AM of course Dunica in 2FM I know I keep mentioning him but it's because he's my colleague in 2FM um, Cole Dunners I'm it, happy for you to mention Dunners I love Dunners <laughs> it seems like there, there's more of a plan in place for a lot of professional rugby players that maybe hasn't always been there like do you think it's gotten better that that people like you are now more aware during their career, rugby career, to go, okay, hang on now, I need to make sure I have my ducks in a row and make sure I have this here and that there and that there, not only money-wise, like financially, Mm. but also mental health-wise. Because to go from being a hero in people's eyes, and that might sound cringe or cliche, but it is. Like, that's what it is when you are part of, say, a Grand Slam winning team. To go from that to, it could be in the blink of an eye, to just nothingness like that's a really scary thing yeah like I think within the IRFU and the Irish side of things they look after the players really well and I think you know for a lot of those players we we do you know we get well looked after we kind of get told this and there's courses available you can go and do this you can go and do that but we're we're thickos rugby players like you know (laughs) like it's actually, I don't know, it might have been Donica tell me or Dervlo O'Rourke was talking about. So she's kind of a player welfare officer and she goes into the Munster lads and she'll tell them all, listen, would you like to go and study in UCD commerce? You can do it remotely or you can go into UCC and you can do this or let's get some mentoring and giving you ideas. And I remember hearing the story how she went into the, the Munster lads and she said, like she just said, lads, you're not going to believe this. Smurfit have offered a scholarship up to the rugby lads. Uh, there's only one place, but there's so many people will be wanting this. So I'd imagine this is going to be really, really um, popular. So send me an email, send the reason that you'd really like to do it and I'll pick somebody. But this is a once in a lifetime opportunity, lads. So you really want to take this. And then when she was walking out of the room, she said, and, and also there's some uh, barista course as well. If anybody's interested in that barista course, send me an email as well. So nobody emailed her about the Smurfit course and she had like 35 emails about learning how to make a flat white. Stop it! That is 
so God. us rugby lads, you just think you're invincible. You just you don't realize. Oh yeah, there is life after <laughs> rugby, isn't there? And we're not soccer players. Like we're known to earn enough money that we're going to be able to yeah. to you know put the feet up and play golf for the rest of our lives. So um, it does hit home eventually that yeah, geez, I need to start myself out here. But and, it's... And a couple of guys have done well, and a couple of guys you know still struggle. And yeah. mental health is is difficult for a lot of them. That's kind of the beauty of it as well, though. I don't mean the mental health side, but but just being so present in it. Like it is kind of, it's kind of nice. It's very much living presently. Just, oh, do you know what? Yeah. It's like 35 lads, all the same age, all having the crack. And that's what I miss the most. You know, the change room, the slagging and the banter and the messing like that. You never get it anywhere. It's like it's not like an office, and and I think that the players, when they all retire, that that's what you miss because you'll never get it again. If we go out for pints, we go for coffees again. You know, it's great, and we'll reminisce. But being present in that moment where you know we've just come off the pitch, we've just been part of a big win, we put our lives, our, our bodies on the line, and you know it's it's a special moment, and and that's something that's the thing I miss the most. Okay, Tommy. The person you always laugh with. Um, just because we were talking about him here, but uh, Dunners is what Dunica O'Callaghan. Like, listen, I have a couple of friends from college and stuff, and we're part of a WhatsApp group. And you know, there's always plenty of slag and a mess and whatever. But I think if I do need a pick me up or I want to to have a reminisce about the good old days within rugby and stuff, or even just any time I catch up with Dunica for a flat white or a coffee or something. He's just, he's just, he's one of the funniest guys. And he doesn't, like, he used to tell stories about poor Jenny, his wife. Like, <laughs> he, you know, they go into like the fanciest restaurant in Cork and they'd be all dickied up and they'd all be dolled up, ready to go. And Donica, he just can't help himself. So they'd be walking in and he's this big six foot six buffoon. And he just like does an accidental trip and like falls over and grabs a, a, you know, a tablecloth and like poor Jenny's left standing there and he like gets oh sorry sorry or even I remember like I think after '09 we had to pick up like a team of the year and Donica had to do it it was on RTE and he did like a, a pretend trip on the way up the stage and like it's all on purpose. <laughs> He's just an idiot and uh, he cracks me up. Yeah, so Dunica, uh, I'll definitely give him a shout out for this. You, you were saying uh, before we started recording, he always has a Tupperware box with him. I know, with his food. <laughs> like, that's the other thing because people see him actually as such a messer, but, and he was always seen as the joker of the pack, but he's actually so diligent. He's such a professional. And I always laugh because we used to go to the cinema with the Irish team. It was always on a Thursday, we'd go to the cinema. And I go straight to the pick and mixes and I'd be lucky. I could eat pick and mix and popcorn and a big gallon of Coke, whatever. And Donners used to have to take a bunch of grapes with him. <laughs> <laughs> so he'd like raid the, he'd like have a banana and a bunch of grapes so that he wouldn't be forced to eat sweets. That is so um, grim. But he really, like he is, he's the sort of guy that has to like, has a list of things to do. And once he's ticked them all off, then he can have the crack. Yes. And he's a great guy to be around. He said that actually, uh, I was chatting to him the other day, just, you know, about bits and bobs. And he said that when they would do, when you guys would do interviews, say, mm. um, outside camp or whatever, that, it all, you know, journalists and stuff would be like, well, Donica, what, <laughs> what pranks did you pull this week? And he'd be like, I was like, I'm, I'm actually, I do take my job seriously. Like I am, yeah. you know, I'm serious. But... but listen, the crack is good and Dunners is a messer. 
and uh, you're not going to yeah. get much sympathy off him. No. Actually, how is that uh, while we're on it? Like with Ireland AM, how, like I'm sure, and you seem to be really enjoying it and throwing yourself into it. But what's, I, I'm sure with COVID and the interviews over Skype and stuff, it's just it's tough going. It's not the same thing. No, it's not. Like I love having people there just sitting opposite you and you can have a chat even off screen or off camera. It makes such a difference. But whenever... In Skype, it's brilliant because it opens up to so many people. You can talk to incredible people all over the world, which is great. But particularly when you're having kind of a, a sad interview or people who are going through a difficult time and to try and um, show emotion or almost kind of like you'd want to put your arm around them or a hand on the knee to just say, listen, you know, like it'll be all right. Uh, because people are going through difficult times at the minute and we are having to interview them and it is tough, but I'm loving, I'm absolutely loving the new job. Yeah, it's great fun. Okay, Tommy, uh, a time where you had the last laugh. Last laugh. Um, do you know what? I don't I don't really have any grudges over people. Um, but I, I suppose the last laugh in a sense, whenever I was starting out with rugby, like I got a pretty tough time with the media, the Dublin media and stuff gave me a difficult time. I remember for my family and my sister, you know, my parents would get quite upset whenever you're playing a match and you didn't play very well. And you used to have the slating ratings and you'd get like a two out of 10. And it's difficult. And I remember because Monaghan, it's not a big rugby you know, county and it's very much Gaelic football. So all of a sudden, whenever I first played for Ireland, everybody was hooked to RTE and listening to what the pundits said at halftime. And I remember George Hook, I didn't watch it, but George Hook supposedly said, you know, he's not cut out for international rugby. He's not fast enough. Now, I didn't know about this at the time, but even still, when I go home, people will say, oh, you showed George Hook, didn't you? <laughs> uh, so, so it's kind of, so in a sense, when you do burst onto the scene, you're a young guy and there are a lot of people questioning. And it's something that I thrive on now. I kind of love a bit of negative feedback at this stage. But at the start of your career, it does take a bit of time to get used to. Like one time, I don't think there's any other rugby players that I've seen or very few who've been given a zero out of 10 in the paper. I got um, Neil Francis, who I actually enjoy his articles at the minute. But whenever I was playing, I hated him because... <laughs> I played against France in the Six Nations. And like, you'd think you'd get a one for just running out onto the pitch. Yeah. But um, yeah, he gave me a zero out of 10. Like, I knew I didn't have a great game, but I thought like after the match, I thought, right, I'll just stay away from the paper, stay away from the coaches, not really just keep my head down, get to train on Monday. And I remember on the Sunday, my friend Oshin from home, he texted said, don't listen to that bollocks, Neil Francis. <laughs> Um, you know, you have to text him back saying, uh, why, what did Neil Francis say? He goes, didn't he just give you a zero out of 10 in the paper? <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Thanks. Oh. So, um, so yeah, listen, you go through those days, but uh, I think it worked out all right in the end. Yeah, I think it, it, but it takes a while to get used to that kind of thing. And I suppose now in a different way, like you're putting yourself out there as a presenter and that's, that's tough going as well. And I know, like, and I happily say it because he, you know, we talked about it. But when Greg mm. O'Shea, I presented the, the breakfast show with Greg oh, yeah. O'Shea. And, you know, people at the time were very quick to go, oh, you're mad from Love Island. Oh, someone else should have been given the chance. And it's like, if I was Greg O'Shea and if I was given the chance, I'd just grab it. And, and, and it can be Definitely. hard. I think when you, like, because, you, you know, you didn't set out to be a presenter. It's the way things have panned out for you. But, like, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. And I think... Well, I kind of did, actually. 
so whenever I was still playing, I kind of thought I would like to go into the presenting side of it because I never felt felt that I was going to be a pundit. I'm not like a Ronan O'Gara or Brian O'Driscoll who gets into the nitty gritty of it. I'm more, I used to stand on the wing and fix my hair and wave at the crowd and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm more wanting to like ask, I love chatting, I love talking to people. And I thought like that would suit me much better. So when we said that, rugby players a bit thick I, you know about two or three years out from retiring I thought what am I going to do and I thought going into the presenting side would be good so I don't know if you remember the program the holiday program getaways that I'd heard that they were looking for a new presenter for it so I got in touch with the production company who said that they were interviewing people they had to do show reels and whatever else for that so I had to go out there and do like a full audition and they'd like I don't know, 10 or 15 people auditioned for it. And I had to learn off all my scripts. And so I got the role for that. And and like, I was so nervous before that because I wasn't used to, I was used to being asked questions and talk about rugby, but see, trying to talk about a cathedral at the top of some mountain in the south of France, like it was completely outside my comfort zone. But I felt that getting that experience was great. And that, so that's kind of how I went into the, the holiday show and I did a few other little bits and pieces. And then it was Air Sport who really gave me the opportunity to get involved in the rugby side of things. And, and from that, Ireland then. So, yeah, listen, I am so lucky. And, but I love it. I absolutely love it. And it's very like rugby. You know, you're, you train all week. You do all your preparation for when the red light comes on. And that gives you that buzz. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful comparison, Tommy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> OK, right. If laughter wasn't the best medicine, Tommy Bow, what would be? The, um, nothing beats like I'm doing a lot of driving at the minute I've done a lot of traveling over the last couple of years and nothing beats walking in through the front door and the kids just the smile on their faces running home just just excited to see you so I don't know does is that could that be counted the love of, of your can. kids of the excitement of the kids like my my son Jamie he's one and he's crawling he's just getting close to walking at this stage but like when I open the door you just say ah, 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 and he crawls flat out with a big grin in his face and Emma's sister runs after him gives you a big hug so I think you know coming home like I've had some tough days some difficult days and like we all do but coming in through the front door the kids don't care about that and the reaction that they give you it's always that's the best medicine what kind of dog do you have there rocking around in the background it's uh, that's a little cocker spaniel that's Bonnie I was going to say, the only thing I can relate, because I don't have kids, I'm like, the only thing I can relate that to is the dog coming in. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what kind of day you've had. And I know. Yeah. It's the exact same. Like, Bonnie was <laughs> our first child and she's still my favourite. <laughs> oh, I love it. But and, uh, the reaction's great. And how has dad life been throughout lockdown? Have you found it? I mean, has it, has it, has it had its perks? Its perks? It perks. It's... <laughs> Jamie was born literally a week before Leo locked the country down. Wow. So we were lucky. I was able to be there for the birth, the whole lot and the scans, the whole lead up to it. And then all of a sudden everything stopped and the sun came out. And I actually got to be around for the first three or four months of his life, Mm. which to be honest with you, I actually wouldn't have been here. You know, I was on the road so much. I was traveling so much. Lucy would have been very much on her own. So it actually was brilliant. It was great. I got to spend so much time with my daughter, Emma, who was three. We got to really bond. And that's the sort of time, you know, talking to other dads, that's time that you'll never get back. And we'll never get that opportunity to bond again. So 
it was difficult. It's been difficult for everybody, but, and it was hard. Like I struggled. I, I did not cope with lockdown very well. And with a newborn and not getting much sleep, like it wasn't easy, but looking back on it, it was great. Um, I, I work in, in breakfast radio and one of the number one things that people love to talk about is what time do you get up at? Oh my God. <gasps> and sometimes I like talking about it and then other times I'm like, oh, the more I talk about it, the more I dwell on the lack of sleep I get. But I have to Me ask too. you, what time are you up at, Tommy? I am so tired at the minute. <laughs> I'm so tired. Oh uh, I'm up at four. Yeah, my alarm generally goes at five past four because I'm in Belfast. So because I played rugby up here in Ulster, so I'm in Belfast. So I'm having to travel down because generally I would have stayed with my brother in Dublin a couple of nights a week. And but, but with lockdown, I can't do that at the minute. So, yeah, it's not easy, but listen, it is what it is. And I love the show. And once I'm once yeah. I'm up, once I'm in the studio, it's That's great. It and could, I, look, I feel it, good. it could be any time of the day once you're in yeah. the studio. You kind of don't feel it. It's just the getting it's up just, and stuff. It's I go for a nap when I get home and... I tried to get to bed early. Like I'm going to bed at half eight or nine o'clock. I never would have dreamt of going to bed that early. Like my wife always takes the piss out of me. Going like I used to be those, the person who slags people off going, well, you go to bed at nine o'clock. Are you mad? But listen, it's worth it. And you get to wake people up with the news and there's so much going on. Like you're in kind of an unfortunate position like yourself. Yeah. Okay. Tommy, are you ready for your quick fire round? I sure am. Okay. The, The actor you always laugh at. Um, uh, Jason Sudeikis. I just watched Ted Lasso on Apple. Have you seen it? Or no. We Are Millers? Or Hall Pass? You know Hall Pass, the guy beside uh, Owen Wilson in it. No, no, God, I'm, I'm oh, he's now. great. He like has a mustache in Ted Lasso. He's brilliant. Okay, have you not seen Hall Pass? No, Hall I'm... Pass is a great show. Tommy, I'm in bed. I'm in bed in the <laughs> evenings. I don't watch TV during the day. That's it. <laughs> okay, the actress you always laugh at. Uh. Is it Kirsten Wig, oh, the girl from Bridesmaids? Yeah, She's class. So I absolutely good. love Bridesmaids. I'm really into chick flicks, actually. Is that wrong? <laughs> no. My boyfriend, <laughs> Paddy, is mad about you. I'll be like, here, do you want to watch a thriller tonight? He'd be like, no, uh, uh, did you hear Mean Girls on Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Paddy. I'm with Paddy. Okay, Let's right. The movie you always laugh at. Oh... Like, I love Step Brothers, but you know what? Like, Dumb and Dumber, it takes me back to my childhood. Yeah. It's just stupid. And it, I haven't watched it in ages, but I know if I put it on, uh, it'll crack me up. So, yeah, Dumb and Dumber. Classic. The comedian you always laugh at. I love Michael McIntyre. Brilliant. But if I want to get a laugh, I go on to YouTube and I watched Tommy Tiernan back on the Late Late Show. Did you ever watch the clips of Tommy Tiernan back when he was like with um, Pat Kenny? And Pat didn't know what Tommy was going to come out with. And it's like talking about the facts of life or like the drug Olympics, I think was one of them, or being caught speeding. Oh man, it's the funny, he's so, he's so fun. Like, listen, Tommy's on fire at the minute with his new show, but like see his comedy back then. And particularly with how with awkward Pat. it was with Pat. <laughs> Oh my God, I must watch that. I'm actually going to watch oh, that after this. Yeah, they're really good. Really okay, good. and Tommy Bo, finally, your best or worst joke? Oh, I hate telling jokes. I'm terrible. I go on. I'm telling jokes. Um, Will you give, okay, right, if you don't I'll, want to tell okay, a joke. I'll tell you a story. If you don't I'll tell want to, you a story. If you don't want to tell a joke or a story, you can give us a bar of the Black Velvet Band. No, no, Jesus. Okay, <laughs> I'll do the story. Right, so, so last week I was interviewing, I was interviewing this guy. He's like a really top, top head honcho in like doping in sport. And 
he was giving me like it was fascinating talk about all back in the 1980s before the Olympics really interesting stuff but he was talking about this Hungarian athlete and how she was taking so many steroids that she started to develop the beginnings of a penis and I said Anabol- anabolics and he goes no no just a penis <laughs> Anabolic steroids. I nearly cocked it up, didn't I? I cocked it up. Oh, That's so typical. No, we got it. We got it. Shane here is laughing as well. Oh, oh yeah. that, that makes me laugh. That's excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Very simple, short, to the point. Brilliant. Oh, listen, thank you. Listen, thank you for having me on. It's been a crack. Look, I, I know what it feels like to be half brain dead from the early morning, so I can't thank you enough for making the time. Do you know what? I wish we could have done it in person. Like, I know. Uh, that's the only shame. The Flip old Zoom. It. But anyway, we'll do, another do you know time. What? Take I, two. I want to do a live show in an actual like stadium at some... Not stadium, like an, a venue. Stadium? I want to sell Jesus, out the Aviva. Taking things. <laughs> Fair play, right? <laughs> well, do you know what? Actually, I was on stage with Mumford & Sons in Oxygen years ago. Stop. Back with Li- Little Lion Man I was on. Yeah. So um, if you can live it up to uh, Mumford & Sons, I'm there. Oh, look at That was someday. Yeah, I mean, I can't there. guarantee that, but I'll do my best, Tommy. It's great stuff. Listen, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing the last of your life. Thank you for listening to the Laughs of Your Life podcast with Tommy Bow. I hope you enjoyed it. Six episodes done of this season, which means we're halfway there. And I know you're probably bored of me saying this, and maybe you've never actually gone and done it, liked, subscribed, rated, reviewed. I would be so grateful if you did that. It means that more people can hear the podcast. It will reach them. And so please go and do that now if you haven't done it before. Like, subscribe, rate, review, and all those other things. Share on your Instagram. Do a little tweet whatever you fancy. This podcast is recorded with Collaborative Studios and is brought to you by Aussie Hair. Great hair, no worries.